Welcome to Ed Council Insights. This is our podcast to provide insights into new legal developments in the Missouri education community. If you are a Missouri school leader, school board member, or any public educational decision maker in Missouri, well, you're in the right place. Today, we're going to be talking about a judgment entered earlier this week against the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services by a Cole County Circuit Court judge. The uh, judgment declares that state health regulations or certain state health regulations that delegate authority to unelected health officials to make public health orders and to enter, quote, control measures, close quote, are illegal, both unconstitutional and a violation of statutory authority. Because the regulations allow the elected officials, unelected officials, I should say, to exercise discretion in the creation and enforcement of the orders beyond what is that which is allowed by law. That's really kind of what the order uh, indicates. Part of this order specifically addresses public health orders in the school context. And just to uh, read from the judgment in the court's order, Judge Green indicates that uh, plaintiffs presented evidence that students are being excluded from schools by discretionary written or verbal order or direction of local health authorities. Consistent with plaintiff's request for relief that this court deems just and proper and to eliminate the need for additional plaintiffs to request this court strike invalid applications of DHSS regulations regarding communicable disease, this court directs DHSS to instruct local health authorities to refrain from issuing verbal or written orders regarding circumstances under which children can be excluded from school. He goes on to add, without determining whether a particular regulation is unconstitutional, it is clear that any quarantine or and isolation rules or rules that exclude students from school created by local health authority outside of the language of the particular regulation are prohibited. Well, this result should come as no surprise to anyone who, given the Cole County Circuit Court judge that entered the order, and the fact that the Department of the Health and Human Services, the department that was supposed to be defending the regulations that it had promulgated, was defended by wait for it, Attorney General Eric Schmidt. That's right. Defense counsel in this case is the same elected official and attorney who has been filing lawsuits around the state attacking the authority of unelected officials to enter public health orders and control measures like masking mandates. So I suppose the judgment that was entered earlier this week should come as no surprise, but we still have to deal with what the implications are for our public schools. So today, that's what we're going to be talking about. What does this judgment entail, uh, at least uh, at a top-line level, and then maybe what some of those potential implications might be for our Missouri public schools. And with me today, I've asked uh, my partners, Emily Omohundro and Tom Smith, to weigh in on these issues. How are you doing, guys? Good. Good morning. Good morning. All right, you ready, guys? Uh, you guys ready to dive in on this one? Um, I know it's kind of fresh to all of us, but let's just start with kind of a little bit of information about what this lawsuit was about. Um, 
Emily, can you give us kind of just a, a very, you know, 80,000 foot kind of idea about what was being claimed here? Sure. So the plaintiffs in the case were not related to public schools or private schools. The plaintiffs were um, Shannon Robinson, BNR STL, and Church of the Word. And so this particular case, again, though it certainly references the broader discretionary power and regulatory power of DHSS and local health authorities was specifically brought by these plaintiffs and but addresses that broader picture and the claims were related to the director of DHSS or a local health agency their ability through their regulations to exercise personal discretion to implement control measures, you referenced that earlier, including creation and enforcement of orders that affect individuals, schools, organizations, businesses, other entities, closed schools and places of public assembly based solely on the opinion of the director of DHSS or the director of local health agencies. And so that was before Judge Green as a motion for summary and declaratory judgment. Okay. And you mentioned that it's uh, Judge Green in Cole County, and that might be a point of confusion for some folks that are listening. You know, we're talking about plaintiffs that are in St. Louis and the application of some of these public health orders in St. Louis area, and yet this is a case that is on file in Jeff City. Can you kind of lay out for our listeners why that is the case? Right. So because the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services is the defendant, And they are located, not they, it is located in Jeff City, Cole County. The appropriate venue for these kinds of cases is in Cole County. And so, you know, they say never to read the comments on the internet, but, you know, as I was reading through the comments on some of the articles about this decision last night, I was noticing that, you know, most of the general public who were commenting were certainly confused about how uh, an order coming out of Cole County could possibly apply outside of Cole County. And I think that the thing to keep in mind here is that DHSS has regulatory power over the entire state of Missouri. And so this particular judgment and Judge Green's decision here regarding the regulations he cited, those regulations are applicable from a statewide perspective. So what he's saying is um, because these regulations uh, he feels are unconstitutional and violate the law, that they cannot be applicable And DHSS has to essentially strike those. And so, you know, that would be applicable to the state as a whole because DHSS has statewide power. Okay. And uh, to be clear, as I understand it, the only defendant in the case was uh, DHSS, right? The state state agency. So we didn't have any sort of local health authorities, certainly no schools involved in this litigation. It took place in Cole County. And that may seem uh, a little odd to folks that are uh, uninitiated that, okay, we have an official that's only elected by Cole County citizens, and he makes a ruling that, that has this broad sweeping uh, impact potentially on everybody. 
And that is because Cole County is the seat of our state agencies and therefore jurisdiction is rendered to um, the local circuit court over the state agencies. So, okay, well, let's talk a little bit more about this ruling, Tom. As you look at it, what are the big takeaways here that might apply to our public schools? Well, when you look through the order and specifically the, you know, the, the final orders from the court after reading through the entire judgment, what, they're, what the court is really saying is it's looking at specific regulations that DHSS has issued. You know, they, the legislature enacts a statute. It gives the DHSS the authority to control public health in certain ways. And pursuant to that statute, DHSS implemented regulations. And some of those regulations talk about control, control measures that are implemented when there are communicable diseases that are being spread. And the court looked at those specific regulations and essentially said uh, that they are unconstitutional, they violate Missouri law, they violate the Equal Protection Clause, and because of that, they're, they are invalid. And those specific regulations that are mentioned in the judgment have to do with things like using temporary control measures like quarantines or closures or other orders, treating close contacts like positives until their diagnosis is verified, or instituting immediate control measures when there's an outbreak or a cluster of illness involving one or more counties. So the court looked through those particular regulations and essentially struck them down and told DHSS, those are legally invalid. You have to revoke them. You have to notify the Secretary of State. You have to notify local health authorities to say those regulations are no longer in effect. They've been held invalid. And then it goes a little further, too, and it says that uh, DHSS and local health authorities are ordered to refrain from taking any action pursuant to any of the remaining regulations that are going to require any uh, independent discretion in, in acting on whether it's uh, you know, an order or any type of health control measure. And the DHSS has to direct those local health authorities to refrain from issuing orders that could exclude children from schools, as you pointed out earlier. So it's kind of a broad, a very sweeping judgment that, that covers a lot of different things. But the, the big takeaway is that now these counties, uh, the local health authorities within these counties are going to be prohibited from relying on those particular regulations to impose any type of uh, mask mandate if they've done that, quarantines, even for close contacts, those type of health measures, local health authorities are going to be severely limited in being able to do that going forward. So as we look at this, Tom, basically, as I, as I understand what you're saying is that, okay, there's a limitation on the public health authorities now to exercise authority with regard to certain things like quarantines or excluding kids from school, that sort of thing. Correct? Correct. Okay. So the, in effect, does that, uh, uh, I want to get to the point, and Emily, this I think is something that maybe you can address. Okay. How does that tie into us as schools? And how is it as public school districts, we need to be looking at this? And where I'm going with this is that uh, we've got limitations on the health authorities. And we can talk about how that might affect uh, individual districts, given the, the the local authorities that have, you know, exercised uh, their quote discretion and in deciding some of these things. But I want to get to the, the to the issue of okay, well, if I'm a public school, what does this mean to me? Emily, can you kind of enlighten us a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah, so I think that 
you know, since the beginning of all of this, we've been talking about um, the need to first comply with any local public health orders. So that is going to be something um, if you happen to be in a district where there were local public health orders still in effect, whether that's masking, quarantine, those, those kinds of orders, those are going to be things that are no longer specifically orders anymore. And then what we've also talked about are the, is the idea that we would be drawing from the recommendations of local public health authorities and uh, DHSS and the CDC and DESE and, you know, all those other entities. So in looking at how the removal of orders affects public schools, um, you know, we can really no longer rely on the authority of our local public health agency when it comes to contact tracing exclusion of students who may be close contacts uh, to positive cases. So, you know, if districts are going to be continuing to do contact tracing and exclusion of students, that is not going to be something that is mandated by your local public health department. And, you know, one of the things that we discussed at the beginning of all this, because the question had not really come up before is, well, what can the local health department do to a public school who doesn't comply with those orders, you know, and we were digging into the exact regulations and statutory concepts that Judge Green writes about in this decision. And, you know, we were telling clients, well, technically the regulations say that the local public health department can shut you down if you're not going to be complying with their quarantine requirements. So that is no longer the case. And so that's, that looks pretty different from just like a philosophical perspective when we talk about how to approach things. So I think the question for public school leaders at this point is, well, we know that there is no more authority from the standpoint of quarantine, isolation, masking, that sort of thing from our local public health agency. So what are we supposed to do is the ball handed to us now to decide how to move forward and and figure out what safety measures and protocol we should put in place. And the answer to that is yes. Okay. So I want to kind of talk through this with you because as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but in most parts of the state today, we don't have a lot of those hard orders in place, right? Right. Now, Tom, you kind of look uh, at St. Louis and Kansas City a little bit, and we and that might be a little bit different, right? Yeah, it, it's slightly different. So, you know, those are the ones that we're mo- that we're aware of, and you know, for Kansas City, the city itself, they had they had a mask order in effect that was citywide. It's since been uh, dropped down to really only applying to schools in school, on the bus, things like that. Uh, And that's gonna be in effect until December 2nd. The kind of the interesting thing about that though is that it wasn't an order that was put in place by the local health authority. That order was passed by the city council. And so it may be that Kansas City takes the position that it's not relying on those regulations that were invalidated through this judgment to impose that order, to pass that order. Uh, so therefore, this judgment doesn't really affect their masking order. Because the rule was promulgated by an elected body as opposed to an unelected official. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. And, you know, if you contrast that with St. Louis County, 
you know, they had an order in place that was issued by the local health authority that ended up being blocked by a judge through the attorney general's lawsuit. And then they, they came back and they issued another order. And that is still being attempted to be blocked by the attorney general. They were supposed to have a hearing on it yesterday that got moved to November 30th. So right now in St. Louis County, there's an order that was issued by uh, the local health authority that's subject to a lawsuit by the attorney general. And at least it, from comments that were made by Sam Page, the director of the local health authority, he said that that's an order that from a case that we were not involved in that happened in Cole County. And so the indication is that they, at least uh, the St. Louis County Health Department, is taking the position that, that or this order does not apply to them and that their health order is still in effect. Okay, let's, let's, let's get to the practical on some of this. Uh, in particular, I'm focused on the quarantine issue because it seems to me that now public health officials probably lack the authority to tell somebody they can't come to school. Is that correct in the wake of this judgment? Not necessarily. So it, it you know, in terms of quarantines, the, the regulations affecting quarantines have been invalidated, but there's still a regulation that says that individuals who have a communicable disease or liable to transmit a communicable disease as listed in the regulations and COVID is included in that, they can be uh, excluded from school. And you pointed that out earlier on in the podcast, that particular part of the ruling the judge did not rule on the constitutionality of that regulation and did not strike it down. So that regulation still allows those individuals to be excluded from school. Where it really gets complicated is, you know, what is going to be that threshold for someone who is liable to transmit a reportable disease? Is that still going to be our close contacts through our contact tracing? And if so, you know, who's going to make that decision? Because if it's the local health authority, then you're still running into that same argument that they're exercising their own discretion. But if we just focus on someone who has tested positive for COVID, that regulation allows them to be excluded from school until they have a doctor, a doctor's note saying that they are no longer uh, able to transmit it, they're no longer contagious, or the maximum amount of communicability, the ability to transmit the disease has passed according to several different medical publications that are listed in the regulation itself. So that authority is still there. I think the real question is, where are we going to draw the line on who is liable to transmit a reportable disease? Is it going to be any close contact regardless of masks? Or is masks going to change that? Is it going to be that they have to be exhibiting symptoms? You know, where, where are we going to make that determination? Okay. And that gets to the point that I was, uh, was kind of driving at with respect to the, you know, the quarantine issue. It seems to me if we have somebody that tests positive, we can deal with that. Is, you guys agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay so it's taking it back, peeling it back away from that. And if we're relying on close contacts and that sort of thing, somebody that hasn't tested positive, you know, we may get into some challenging situations where people are saying, you, know, you can't really exclude my kid from school or from athletics or whatever it may be, uh, just based on close contacts. You just don't have the authority to do that. Where do you think this judgment leaves us or does it impact it at all? Emily, what are your thoughts? I think from a practical perspective, I think that we're going to see a significant pushback on the quarantining of close contacts, regardless of 
distance that kids were apart. I think we're going to see, you know, whether we're requiring masks. I don't think that it, I don't think that those details are going to matter in terms of the court of public perception. I think that we are going to have parents and students who will push back on that based on this, because many districts were relying on you know, the recommendations and requirements of local public health authorities, you know, not necessarily what we've seen in a lot of, in a lot of areas is our, you know, especially our more rural areas that the local public health authorities are saying, yes, you know, if you're a close contact, you still need to quarantine. But as a local public health agency, we really don't have the uh, man or woman power to try to address that or do the contact tracing. But yes, that's still what you need to do. And, and now, you know, I think all of that sort of falls to recommendation status. And so the district is going to, I think we're going to see a shift and the, our districts are going to have to look at that and say, okay, what are we as, you know, a board and a district going to set this standard at? And what are we going to base that on? And how are we going to communicate that out? And then what are we going to do when we get pushed back? So I think that that's, you know, we need to figure out how we're going to proceed from there. And I think one of the things that is interesting about this particular language of Judge Green's, you know, talking about that, you know, an unelected official's authority and discretion to, um, you know, make these edicts and rules and interpretations. I mean, I think we're, we're going to be looking at boards having to come together and, and make these decisions about what the standards are going to be for staying home when you've been exposed or when you're sick or when you're exhibiting symptoms. And so it's, I think it's important to note that because a concern that I think we have is that if we're leaving that up to administrative discretion, instead of putting that in the hands of the board, we may be running into a very analogous situation to, you know, what Judge Green is talking about with regard to DSS sort of delegating that really broad authority via regulation to an unelected official, just like our administrators are unelected officials, whereas the board is elected. Now, I think the good news is that at this juncture, most boards across the state have approved their reopening plans or their safe return to learn plan. And so we may already be in a position where those plans and procedures are already approved by the elected officials. So that's it. I think that's a good thing at at this stage, given the language of this judgment. Although, you know, coupling this judgment with uh, House Bill 271 and, you know, everything that was being argued about that, I suppose that we probably ought to scrutinize what the board is passing a little bit more closely to determine, you know, whether or not it's providing too much discretion to the superintendent, and maybe there's a limitation there that somebody could challenge down the road. But yeah, I agree. I, I want to circle back on something, though, guys. Uh, you know, okay, we've moved to the status where what we're getting out of our local health officials really cannot be any sort of order or mandate. It has to be a recommendation. As I recall it, a number of different board policies talk about us, you know, acting in accordance with local health official guidance. I think is some of the language or perhaps recommendations. So, and we, and we talked about that in the context of maybe exposing the school district to liability if they didn't follow what those recommendations or guidance, you know, what those, those things that we're getting out of uh, public health officials might be. So 
my question is, is does that change? Uh, are we, you know, if our policy says we're going to, you know, act in accordance with local health official guidance, they no longer have the authority to issue orders, but they still presumably have the authority to issue guidance, right? Um, right. So we're still in the same place, aren't we? I think yeah. so. Tom, go ahead. No, I, I, I agree. I, I think that that risk may be even more heightened now. If we have the, that policy in place and we're not following the guidance, you know, that the COVID liability statute that was passed last year that gave us those protections, there's some exceptions to that. And when you talk about not following your own policy that says you're going to comply with the recommendations from the CDC, DHSS, local health authorities, and you're not following that, that opens the door for someone to argue that you're, you're being reckless and you're meeting one of those exceptions under the COVID liability statute. Uh, so that, that risk is still there. And I think it's only going to be heightened if these local health departments are now in a position where they know that they no longer have that authority to quarantine or do any of those things, but they still have the ability to make recommendations. So all of those things that they were doing are probably going to get wrapped up into their recommendations now. And if we're not following that, that's just more risk points for us and someone making that claim that that COVID liability protection that we have doesn't apply because one of the exceptions comes into play. You know, I think we've covered quite a bit of ground here, but I want to give each of you kind of an opportunity to just kind of close this out with some, you know, your takeaways from this judgment. You know, for me, in looking at it, you know, obviously, I'm a little bit cynical about how this may have uh, transpired, and I went back and looked at the you know CaseNet docket entries, and it appears to me that the Attorney General's office really didn't file anything uh, since April in the case, other than a joint motion for a continuance of the hearing. <laughs> uh, so there hasn't been a real active defense in this case, and you know we'll probably never know what the extent of that may have may or may not have been, and. How much of that shot was being called by the Department of Health and Senior Services versus the Attorney General's office? But it certainly does look suspicious to me. You know, I'll leave it at that. But uh, I think there are some other aspects of this. If you're talking to superintendents out there, if you're talking to boards out there, what are your takeaways? And I'm just going to give you each a parting shot, and I'll start with you, Emily. What do you I think, think? We need to. Go back, as you said, and examine our reopening plans that were approved by boards so that we can make sure that we're not delegating too much authority to the administration or the superintendent. So we don't see arguments related to, you know, an overreach by an unelected public official. I think that that's going to be important. And I think we just need to steel ourselves for the inevitable outcry if we are, you know, excluding kids who are asymptomatic, not testing positive, and that we consider close contacts. You know, we need to be able to explain what that's based on, which I think there's plenty of information out there for us and recommendations out there for us to be able to do that. Right. Tom, um, final takeaways? I, I agree with both of you. And Dwayne, especially, I share your, your uh, cynicism towards how this all came about. And to me, it, you know, I, I go a little bit further with it. I think that this judgment just further isolates school districts and, and really puts them on their own in dealing with all of this. You know, the, 
you keep hit with kept hearing for the last couple of years, local control, local control. And it seems like that only really applies as long as you're doing what they want you to do. So we get into this position where now we're, we don't have any state uh, authority to rely on. Now we don't have any local health authority to rely on. So school districts are really left on, on their own uh, and subjected to some substantial risk. So I think going forward, you know, as Emily said, go back, look at your return to school plans, uh, and then analyze those looking at the risk points, whether it's from the COVID liability statute or House Bill 271, and how those are being applied by state officials or how they're being interpreted, and what's the risk point there if you don't comply with that, and how, what is the risk point in terms of a parent filing a lawsuit as well. So analyze those different risks, figure out which ones you're willing to accept based on what you're trying to accomplish within the district, and then move forward from there. All right. Well, thank you both for taking the time. Uh, I know this is, like I said, it's pretty fresh, uh, something that we just learned about and was just entered this week. And I'm sure uh, as everybody returns from Thanksgiving break, they're going to be thinking about this and whether or not it has a significant impact in their operations right now and what they need to be doing between now and the time that they continue to roll back or complete their rollback of some of the things that we've had to have in place over the last 18 months. So um, I do appreciate it. And and thank you, listeners, for taking the time today to listen to Ed Council Insights. We hope you'll follow and share our Ed Council podcast on social media and subscribe to hear upcoming episodes on current legal topics and issues related to Missouri school law. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn, or you can just check us out at our website. Just Google Ed Council, that's E-D-C-O-U-N-S-E-L, one word, and you'll find us there. Glad we could be together, and thanks for listening to this edition of Ed Council Insights.